Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. Uh, how many would rather be here than outside the best rainstorm in town? Anybody? Yeah. I was thinking this morning as I got up, I thought, you might as well go to church because you're not going to do anything else. <laughs> it's a great, great day. <clears throat> great day. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, online and, uh, or, or maybe uh, at one of our campuses or in the chapel or the warehouse here at Long Point. We're glad that you guys uh, are along too. It's a great day, big day. I hear they're having a Super Bowl today. Uh, go Broncos. Hey, listen, those of you... Those of you wearing Bronco paraphernalia, if you just come sit in the front, give me a little encouragement today, because I am well outnumbered uh, here in Carolina, but uh, it's going to be a great day, and I hope you don't cry if you lose. So, so <laughs> that's all I'm going to say about that. So, so I remember as a kid, growing up in Colorado, we went to church a lot. I mean a lot. We went on Sunday morning, we went on Sunday night, we went on Wednesday night, unless they were having a revival, and then we went every night. And there were not very many excuses for not going to church. But just about church time, especially on Sunday night, a strange thing would happen to me. A strange disease would come on me, and, and I, would, I would start to feel sick, or at least tell myself, well, actually, I was telling my mom that I was. Now, usually it didn't work because <clears throat> mom liked to say, listen, if you're sick, the best place to be in church is to be in church because you could get a healing there or catch a healing, you know. But sometimes, sometimes it, it did work, and, and, uh, and so they'd leave me at home on a Sunday night, and miraculously, after they left, a healing would occur. And I'd get up, and I would watch the Wonderful World of Disney. Is anybody here old enough to remember The Wonderful World of Disney on a Sunday night? Well, we didn't get to watch that much, so it was a real treat. Then after that would come Bonanza, you know, da 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 whatever. And, and uh, so I'd watch those. And then shortly before I knew Mom and Dad were coming back, I would crawl back into bed and look sick when they returned. Now, roll the clock ahead, how many ever years that was until now? These days, even when I go on vacation, I go to church. In fact, when I'm on vacation, I go to two or three, I, I line up how I could go to an early service here and a middle service here and a late service here. We were, uh, the boys and I were at a baseball game. We were able to go to the Cubs and Cardinals in the, in the playoffs in St. Louis. And so we went to a Friday night game, Saturday night game. One of my friends is the chaplain for the Cardinals and got his tickets. And, and um we're going to fly home on Sunday afternoon, and I thought, well, it's Sunday morning. I need to go to church, and I'm right downtown, and so I look around, and I walk about a half mile to a Catholic church. Now, I didn't even know when to stand up or sit down. I'd ne I didn't know the whole drill. I had never been to a Catholic church, but I met Jesus there that day, and I couldn't wait to be in church. So, so what's changed? What's changed? In the Bible, there's a guy named Saul who... Uh, uh, persecuted Christians uh, as a part of his job. And uh, he took great delight in it, and then he had an encounter with God. You roll the clock ahead, he gets a name change to Paul. He writes most of the New Testament, and he ultimately gives his life for the church. What happened? Same thing happened to a guy named Peter who denies Christ. You know him, one of the disciples. I don't know him. Get away from me, I don't know him. Then you roll the clock forward a few years and he challenges people 
to devote their lives to the church and to Christ. In fact, he, he dies a martyr's death, crucified upside down for his faith in Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are, are very similar. I, I know you. You didn't have an interest, or at least much interest in, in church. In fact, I know some of you guys, you, you know, the wife would go, and that's what the wife did. And you'd played golf on the weekend, you know, and you wouldn't want to miss that. You wouldn't give up an opportunity to do that, even if it was at the peril of your own eternity. And I'm not saying that if you play golf on the weekend that you don't go to heaven. I didn't say that. But now, I know some of you guys, you, you wouldn't miss church. You wouldn't, you're here all the time, and if you're not, you watch online. What happened? And thousands of us. There was a time when church was the farthest from your mind, and now you're here on a weekend, ready to make a commitment to give more of yourself to the church maybe than you ever have before. So what happened? What happened? Here's what happened. Somewhere along the line, we found God. The first value of our church. We found God. We got rightly related to God. And beyond that, we got a new vision of what the church could be. Many of us used to see the church as, as lifeless and frustrating. And now we see it as the Bible presents it. As the hope of the world. And when you get a vision of what the church could be, it changes everything. Uh, Peter Drucker, who... Uh, was the foremost consultant, uh, management consultant for the business world. I read a lot of his books, and some of you who are in business have also. Just a few years before he died, he arranged his entire professional life around helping churches rather than just consulting businesses. Why? Somebody asked Drucker that, and he said this. He said, there are only two organizations in the world that are changing the lives of human beings. One of them are the 12-step programs, and the other, he said, are the local churches. And he said only one of them really changes eternity. And then he said this, he said, when I understand that, I wanted to give more of myself to the church. And when he got it, it changed his whole, the whole focus of his life. And when you get it that the local church is the God-anointed means by which the lost are redeemed in this world, you'll rearrange your life to be more and more a part of what it takes to make the church really, really go. And that's why we're here this weekend. And I want to I say thank you for coming. This, you know, not only is there a Super Bowl this afternoon, but honestly at Seacoast Church, this is our Super Bowl. This is, this is the seventh game of the World Series. This is, this is the the, the finals of the final four. This is the, the, the championship of the World Cup soccer and the final episode of The Bachelor all rolled into one. <laughs> this is it. This is it. This is the day we've waited for and we've prayed for. We've talked about, we've planned for. If you're a visitor, we're glad you're here. But we need to give you a word of explanation. This is not going to be a typical service. This isn't really normal. This is a special, special day in the life of our church. And part of what we're going to do is we're going to bring our commitments to God for the future. And if you're a guest, we don't expect you to do that at all. But we hope that you'll get something that you can take away today. I think that you will. Just sit back and enjoy the service, realizing that this really is a, an exciting and a special day. And so what I want to do is I want to talk to you about imagining the future. 
We've been in a series called Imagine. We've laid out the values of our church and, and, and of our own lives. And we challenged you a couple of weeks ago about uh, some direction we want to take in the future. And I just want to revisit that. I want to talk to you about what we believe. We sang a song that said, we believe in God our Father. We believe in Christ the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that he rose from the dead. We believe that the same power that lived in Jesus now lives in his church. And we want to talk to you about uh, what, what we believe will happen in the future. And so let me give you three ideas. Here's the first one. And I've already touched on it just a little bit, but it's this, that the local church is the hope of the world. We've staked everything on that. We believe that. Uh, Bill Hybels um, usually talks about this at his leadership summit every year. He's pastor of Willow Creek Church in Chicago. He has a leadership summit that through uh, video and everything draws over 160,000 leaders and he loves talking about the hope of the world. And he said this a couple of years ago. He said, there is nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It's com it comforts the grieving. It heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addiction it frees the oppressed and it offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. The potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. And I would agree with him. I've been involved with the local church for <clears throat> more years than I really even want to talk about. And I love the church. I wake, well, I wake up every morning thinking about the local church. I think about Seacoast. When I say I love being your pastor, it's not just kind of a throwaway phrase. I love it because I love the potential, what the local church can do. See, the hope of the world is not the government. How many of you will agree with that? We're going to get a big dose of the government in the next couple of weeks, and it'll be fun and exciting, but that's not the hope of the world. Academia, the colleges are great. They're wonderful, but that's not the hope of the world. Business is great, but the church, because it is to the church, that God has entrusted the message of salvation, which truly changes lives and hearts. The church is the hope of the world. One of my favorite scriptures in the New Testament is Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus said, I will build my church. Say that together with me. I will build my church. And he says that the, the powers of hell cannot conquer it. See, we live in crazy times right now. Would you agree with that? I mean, it's crazy times. Christians are persecuted as they never have been before throughout the world, some politically and some literally at the, at the cost of their life. What gives us the confidence that the church will endure until the end of history, until Jesus comes? Because there are a lot of empires, even in our lifetime, a lot of empires, massive companies that seem durable have evaporated. But why will it be different for the church? Let me tell you why. Because Jesus is building the church. And church, you got to get that. Jesus is building the church. He's not in heaven somewhere uh, you know, directing the angelic choir or taking long naps or doing real hard crossword puzzles. He's not doing that. He is completely focused these days on building his church, which is the hope of the world. One of the greatest privileges in life 
is when Jesus taps you on the shoulder and he says, hey, Greg, hey, Fred, hey, Josh. He said, I want to use you. I, I, I've got it. I have a critical role for you as I'm building my church in this world. And I've been prepping you for it from long before you were ever born. How do you say no to that? You know, how, how do you just blow that off? How do you say, you know, I got my own thing going on here. I, you know, I got retirement plan, going to do some golfing, whatever. What, how do you just blow off God? Don't be that guy or that girl. You'll regret it forever. Don't say, no thanks, I'm building my thing. Be a part of what God is building. What if, this is kind of a dream, what if everybody in this church, everybody that's listening to me right now, Everybody, well, how, let's just broaden it. How about all the Christians in Charleston or Columbia or Greenville or Manning or wherever you happen to be? Let's broaden it from there. How about all the Christians in the United States? Let's, let's, let's go for all the Christians in the world. What if all the Christians in the world woke up every day and prayed a prayer like this? Lord, today I freshly commit myself to your work as you build your church in the world. I commit all of myself to the role that you've assigned me in building the church. Every day, just God, I commit, my, I commit myself to what you're building in the world today, to the church, and I commit myself to the assignment that you've, uh, you've, you've given me. What, what if we all did that? You think we could make a difference? I think we could make a major, major dent in the world because the local church is the hope of the world. That's what we believe. Here's the second thing we believe. We believe that the next generation literally is the future of the church. The next generation is the future of the church. And rather than me just tell you about that, I'm going to invite John uh, Holm, who is our student pastor, and he oversees all the student ministries uh, in all of our campuses. I'm going to invite him to come and just talk to us a little bit about that. Will you welcome John as he comes? Well, good morning, family. How you doing? You're awake? Hey, I have the distinct privilege and the honor to talk about a couple of things that I'm very passionate about. One is Jesus. I love him, and I can't stop talking about him. And the second one is I love the next generation. I've been in youth ministry now for 19 years, and uh, in dog years, it's 40. Um, but I, I, I love it. I love it. I can't escape it. And uh, what's unique right now is um, seeing all of you engaged and taking notes, and you're not texting or turning around to a friend, and I don't have to keep going, shh. Up here, up here, up here. So I don't even know what to do with that right now. That's good. That's good. But I have a, I have an if-then statement, and then I have a little bit of participation um, with you. So my if-then is this: if the point that I'm talking about is the next generation is the future of the church, then if the next generation is the future of the church, then what we do today affects that future. So participation time. How many of you here remember your childhood? Your teen years, your, your child years, you, you can recall that, you bring it back. Uh, some maybe are met, maybe it's fuzzy for some of us. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm slowly forgetting things now, which is sad. You know, I went to the school the other day, and, uh, which is humbling because you walk into the, the, the high school and somebody goes, is it bring your dad to work day? I'm like, am I, really? Really? But... Some of it is met, our childhood years are met with maybe fond memories, and some may be met with pain. But think back to your childhood, your childhood years. How many of you in this room or even online 
found God as a teenager, as a kid. Could you raise your hand? That's when you began a relationship with Jesus Christ, as a kid or a teenager. Frederick Douglass once said this, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Statistics show that before graduation, 18 to 20, that about 83% find a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's huge. Then they even say that the greatest percentage of that is found from age 5 to 13 is when they're just ripe for a relationship with Christ. Their hearts are, are tender, their, their ears are attuned to the Holy Spirit, and 5 to 13. So it just shows that the next generation, there's such a critical time in their life. And we've seen, as a church, as a student ministry over our campuses, we've seen 32 students this year alone, this year, this last month, find God. Now, that's something to shout about, I think. Relationship with Jesus. We should never get tired of seeing people find God. So I can stand here this morning, and I can talk about how acceptance is one of the greatest and strongest needs teenagers have. I can talk about how identity is being defined and decided and, and what kind of person they're wanting to be or going to be is happening right now as they're kind of determining that. I can talk about how friendships are the biggest influence on the quality and direction of a teenager's life. But really what I want to sink in and what I want us to walk away with is just two words. I want you to walk away with a sense of urgency for the next generation. And I want you to walk away with a sense of ownership. Because there's a battle that's raging for a generation and the winner owns the future. I want to say that one more time. A battle is raging for a generation, and the winner owns the future. And our families, they're either one generation away from spiritual extinction, or they're one generation away from spiritual explosion. And I don't know about you, but I want to be in the spiritual explosion portion. And so how we choose to invest in, how we choose to fight for this generation will determine its outcome. I'm going to show you a few uh, scriptures in Psalm, found in Psalm, and it talks about the importance of one generation investing into the next generation. It's found here. Psalm 145 says this, Generation after generation stands in awe of your work. Each one tells stories of your mighty acts. Psalm 78 says, We will not hide these truths from our children, but will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord. We will tell of his power and the mighty miracles he did. And Psalm 22 says this, our children will also serve him. Now listen, if you have a, a child who has walked away from God, do not stop fighting. They will serve him. Our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. So basically, if I can sum those portions of Scripture up, it, it's, it's really this. What we leave behind must be greater than what was left for us. What we as this generation leave behind to, to, to students, to kids, must be greater than what was left for us. The next generation needs to hear your stories of life change. They need to hear your experiences with Jesus. They need to hear your struggles with faith. They need, because they're, what they're seeing and what they're observing now is they're, they're learning how to be committed Christians. They're learning how to give. They're learning how to be generous. They're learning how to take steps and risks in their faith, but they're learning it from watching their previous generation. And so our role as a, as a student pastor, my role as a student pastor, and our role as a student ministry, it's not easy. Remember when I asked, think back of 
what it was like when you were a kid, when you were a teenager. For some, it's just a few years ago. For some, it's a few, few, few times ten years ago. The distractions were less then, don't you agree? The noise was a little softer then. We didn't have these glowing things in our screen, in our, in our, in our hands, and I was, wa- I was watching um, a student one time, and, and we're on a, a trip, and they're on the bus, and, and they just kept scrolling like this and double tapping, scrolling and double tapping. Anybody know what that app is? Instagram, where they're just hearting everything? We didn't have those distractions then. We had to fight a lot harder to try to figure out different things to derail our faith, but now it's, it's a lot easier. And, and so it's not, it's not an easy one of what we do, but it's, it's so significant. We're creating ministry environments that develop students to be able to withstand the intense pressures that they face daily. Students who can be light in dark places. Students who will not shrink back from their faith while they maintain friendships with people who are far from God. Students who know how to be influential without being influenced, earning them the privilege to lead. And I'm going to call some students up right now, and as they come, I'm going to introduce you to Carly Knight and Owen Holm. Um, They're going to come and share uh, what God is doing in their life, and yeah, there you go. There's some butterflies in the stomach, so give them some encouragement. Here's Carly. Hi, I'm Carly Knight. I'm 16 years old, and every single one of those 16 years has been spent here at Seacoast. I literally grew up here. For as long as I can remember, I've been hungry for God. When I was little, it showed itself in forms of wanting to memorize the memory verse or know more about the Bible story we learned about. But as I've gotten older, it's just transformed into this deep-rooted desire to intimately know the Father more. But also, as I've gotten older, it's become a lot harder to do that. Um, As he was saying, the distractions and the noise. Um, There's so much emphasis on my grades or my friends or boys or job and money and SAT scores and college acceptance. But the most important thing that this church and this student ministry has given me is a kingdom-focused perspective and the ability to step back from all of that and say, what's really important? In the grand scheme of things, in the eternal scheme of things, what really matters? And the only thing is God. And when you live your life like that, it's impossible not to want to make a difference and not to take hold of everything that God has given you and give it back to him. Um, Custom really equips and empowers students to do that. You know, we're given um, this background and basis in biblical truth, and placed, um, people are placed in our lives to speak that over us. Um, we can connect with the creator of the universe, whether it be in a weekend service or on a missions trip or at, in our room at quiet time. Um, so when you are a part of that, when you lead a small group or uh, volunteer at a one night or give to the expansion of the church and our student facilities, you're playing a part in stories that God has been writing since the dawn of time. And eternities are gonna be altered because of that. Um, Students that haven't even stepped foot in a church that haven't even been born yet are gonna meet Christ because someone in the generation before them said that they had seen enough of kids giving their lives away to things that don't matter. So thank you for supporting that as a church. And because of that, there's a generation rising up whose hearts are hungry for God and they're postured towards eternity and ready to change the world. So thank you.
So good. I think I just lost my job. I want to introduce you to uh, my son, Owen. Um, Owen, where do you serve? Central Park. Central Park. And why do you like serving there? I want to change people's life and put Christ in it. Hmm. I didn't coach him on that one. I just, I want to, I want to give a, 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 I guess a father moment. Um, I went to, took my son to Five Guys and what better place to bond with your, your son over meat and bacon. And uh, the moment he started craving bacon, I knew that we, were, we had kindred spirits. And so uh, we were sitting there having our burgers, and uh, he notices uh, a kid that he, he served, not serves with, but he serves in kids' ministry. And he, he said, Dad, can I go say hi to him? I said, sure. And he ran over. I said, I'm a pastor, so I mean, I, yeah, sure, go ahead. Do, do what you need to do, man. And uh, he ran over, gave him a hug, gave him a high five, and he sat at the table, and he's just talking with him. And I'm going... It just, it struck my heart, and I just, I'm so proud of our kids' ministry and so proud of the fact that there is, there's a next generation for Owen, and there's a next generation for our teenagers, and there's a next generation for you to invest into. It isn't just we're asking the above 30-year-olds to give to the next generation. We're asking that every one of us has a next generation to invest into and to raise up, and that's what the Scripture is saying. What we leave behind has to be better than what was left for us. And so just the moment that I saw my son ministering and, and giving to his next generation. So thanks, buddy. I just wanted to use that as an example. And so the vision of our church is bigger than just one generation. The strength of our church rests on our ability and willingness to reach the next generation. And the burden of change rests upon us, this generation. And so we need to risk, we need to take risks to rescue a generation. 30 years ago, they said that youth couldn't change the world. 20 years ago, they said that youth ministry was just a trend. 10 years ago, they said that youth didn't care about God anymore. And today, church, we're proving them wrong. I want to leave you with this, and then we'll call pastor back up. But a battle rages for this generation, and we can choose to fight or forfeit a generation. And this, is, this statement stuck in my heart because I want to share a story I shared with at one of our um, first Wednesdays. But there was a young lady in Minnesota when I was youth pastoring there early on in, in my youth ministry career. Her name is Kayla. And she attended our, our youth ministry for a while, and then she just kind of disappeared. And probably been gone about a year. And every, I mean, every year I can remember I would write birthday cards to students. And as a young youth, you know, youth ministry, a small youth ministry, I was able to write plenty of cards easy, but then we just started to grow and experience momentum, and we'd, we'd have hundreds upon hundreds start to come to our youth ministry, and it just became, just, I mean, a lot of cards to have to write, and so I began to just pick and choose cards of students that I knew who were coming and students I didn't, and when I came across Kayla's, I threw it in the trash and then began to, to write, so don't judge me. I'm, I'm going to the cross over this one, but I, I felt convicted. And I felt like, what are you doing? Every student matters. They need to hear from you. They need, they need to feel reached. And so I pulled it out of the trash, and I, I just wrote her a little note. said, hey, girl, miss you. I hope you have a great birthday. Um, love to see you around again. Um, put a piece of gum in it because I don't have money to put in cards, you know, that kind of thing. Although whenever you get a card, you open it, and you're looking for the money. 
And then I just sent it off, and probably a few days later, um, I was in the school, and I hear this, Pastor John, Pastor, waving, flailing girl, and it's Kayla. And uh, I'm like, uh, did I do something? What did I, hey, wait, gave her a hug, and she reaches into her book bag. She pulls out a card, and she says, thank you. This is the only thing I got for my birthday. And I just, the only thing? The only thing. The only thing I got for my birthday. And if this generation is lost, it won't be because the enemy is more powerful or has something better to offer. It will be because we did not show up. And aren't you glad that we're part of a church as pastor comes? Aren't you glad that we're part of a church that shows up? We've shown up in planting churches. We've shown up for the next generation. We've shown up in communities when there have been crises. We have shown up. It's because of the power of God in us to be his hands and feet extended, to be Jesus with skin on. I'm excited to be a part of a church that shows up. All right. Let me tell you, it's harder these days for kids than it was when we were kids. It really is. Uh, I was at a basketball game yesterday for one of my uh, uh, grandkids. You can, get, you can go to a sport any day of the week, and uh, we probably got one because we got 14 grandkids, you know. But I was at a basketball game, little girls, uh, seven years old, Addison. And God bless their hearts. Their team is terrible. It's just really bad. <laughs> Um, yesterday, I, you know, you go, well, how can you say that? Well, yesterday they got beat 30 to 2, and it was the closest game I've watched, the closest one this season. So anyway, Addison actually took two shots yesterday. She missed them, but they were close. And so I knew that she's collecting money for the building fund. That's, she, her heart is so right. And so after the game, I, I gave her $5. I said, that, those shots were worth $2.50 a piece. And uh, here you go. And she was so excited. So I asked her mom, I said, how's she doing with her building fund collection? She said, she was doing great until the ice cream truck came. And uh, all of her cousins live in the same community, you know, and they were all there. And her just generous heart knew that she'd saved up this money. And so the ice cream. So, so I thought, here's the application. Let's, let's pray that the ice cream truck doesn't come during our <laughs> commitment time. <laughs> I thought that was funnier than it was. I'll leave that one out next time. Okay, so here's number three. Here's number three. The first one is the church is the hope of the world. The second one is that our kids, the future generation, uh, is the future of the church. And number three, together we can build a path to the future for the next generation. And that's what we're here for today. Uh, Let me give you our timeline just a little bit. If you... um, did you see the video? We showed it the last couple of weeks. And then uh, if you're online, you can see it at imaginecoast.org. We did a little vi- uh, video to show kind of the, the progress. I, I'm not going to show it again. I just want to show an out clip of the very first part of it. Put the picture on the screen. This, uh, this was the dedication that we did 20-some years ago, I think 25 years ago, when we first built the first building here at Seacoast. What we did is we, we banded together, we purchased the land that we're on, and uh, we took a chalk thing and we chalked out what the auditorium would look like, similar to what we've done in the parking lot out here on this current building. And uh, we had a platform, and I was standing just about where I'm standing right now. And this was our whole church. Now, I always claimed that it was 200 people. Somebody counted them, and there, you can only see 100. But there were no more than that, okay? The pastor always speaks evangelistically, right? But uh, anyway, there, there were close to 200 of us. 
And I stood up. And these people, we were, we were getting ready to commit ourselves to the future. And I, and I said, I said, someday, tens of thousands of people will come to this place because of what this group like you are doing today. And oh man, that was exciting. And now we look back at it, and it's not just exciting, it's historic, it was prophetic. We've seen tens of thousands of people come to this place because of the sacrifice and the commitment that those people made. And we're at that place again. That's what's exciting to me. We're at a historic moment where we can sacrifice for the future. You know, there's only, there's only three things we can do. We can either go forward or go backward or stand still. And you can't really stand still because standing still is always going backwards, ultimately, because of the way that things decay. And we're at a time today, uh, our city has doubled in population since the last time we expanded here at Long Point. Services are unbelievable. Conferences sold out. Did you know the women's conference that we had a week ago uh, sold out 1,800 women? And uh, we said, hey, if you want the early bird rate for next year, next year's conference, um, you can do that over the next three days. Next year sold out in three days. Which that, yeah, well, let me, let me just say this. That's exciting if you got a ticket. Okay? It's not if you didn't. And we've got, we've got to expand. So where will we be in the future? Let me show you a picture of the building that we're going to build out here uh, in, in the, the front parking lot. Uh, let me tell you what it will contain. It will contain a refurbished children's area that will be just uh, excellent. Uh, the facility that we're in right now will become the youth center. And it won't look like this. It will look like a youth center. Uh, did you know that at the last um, one night, I had over 1,000 kids. Uh, here and we just believe it's going to grow and grow and grow and we're going to pour into it because we believe in the next generation and then we're going to have a 20 2400 seat auditorium that we'll use for a little while until they push us out and it'll be their their building of the future uh, how much will it cost it'll cost 28 million dollars say that together with me 28 million dollars how of you know that's a lot of money i read last week or two weeks ago that a furniture store that we used to shop in downtown sold for $23 million just for the building. Now, when I read that, I thought this, that's a lot of money. I didn't realize that building was worth that. Second thing I thought was, there's an investor or group investor, group of investors somewhere who feel like $23 million is a bargain because of the return on investment. And then I thought about the return on investment that we're going to invest in. Far out uh, exceeds anything. And so we have... We have, we're going to invest in something that will cha change lives for generations. So we've uh, challenged each family to pray, examine their hearts, and to commit to giving over the next 12 months so we can continue to see people changed, touched, lives changed. And we believe God's going to give us a miracle today. We really do. I'm excited about today. Uh, campuses, we're asking you to join us. I know that most of what we're doing in this particular time is going to be experienced here at Long Point. Uh, although you'll come to conferences, and this is kind of where, where a, a lot of that will happen. Um, and I also realize that much of the weight of this will be carried by Long Point. But we want to invite you to be a part, because there are people that are sitting here that have invested in your past, and we're going to be there to invest in your future. I guarantee that. Would you agree with me on that? 
so 3,000 years ago, an entire nation did what we're going to do this weekend. They came together to give sacrificially, to build a place of worship, to honor God. And then they prayed, and they sacrificed, and they gave. And it was the largest offering that they had ever, ever had as an entire nation. In today's term, the offering was about $400 million given to build the temple in Jerusalem. And um, after that offering had been given, their leader, David, prayed a prayer. And I wanted to read it because it expresses our hearts today. It says, now our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. These things did not really come from me and my people. Everything comes from you. You've given back what you gave us. We are like foreigners and strangers as our ancestors were. Our time on earth is a shadow. There's really no hope in that. The Lord our God, Lord our God, we have gathered all this to build your temple. In other words, they're building for the future, for worship to you. But everything has come from you and everything belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test people's hearts. You are happy when people do what is right. David says, I was happy to give all of these things, and I gave them with an honest heart. Your people gathered here are happy to give to you, and I rejoice to see their giving. They didn't give grudgingly. They didn't give out of a pressure. If you feel pressured, don't do it. Don't do it. I want you to give joyfully. I want you to give out of a, just a, a heart of thanksgiving, because when you give in thanksgiving, it becomes an act of worship. So it's time. It's time for us to make our commitments. So I challenged the church last night. Saturday night, um, almost $3 million worth of commitments were given. Just absolutely incredible. One couple came up to me after the service and they said, uh, um, we, we, want you, we want you to know something. We want you to know what a privilege it is for us to give. And they wanted to tell me about their experience when we built the Possibility Center, which is the children's area over here a few years ago. They were pregnant with, um, with their child. And I'll show you a picture of them. Let me tell you what, 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 what we're doing. They were, they were pregnant with a the child. They'd made a commitment to the building. And uh, it was for children. And we had everybody go and sign the floor with scripture verses. Some of you were here and with prayer requests and all that. And here's a picture of them signing the floor. I want you to hear their story. They wrote me a note just a little bit later last night. And they said, we knew that the construction would greatly impact Hunter. That was the child they were pregnant with. And we thought when the building was being built that we would be adding a new seal, Harry and, and Kim Seal's their name, to the children's building. When this photo was taken by a friend of ours, we had just miscarried our child. We did not know what to do, but we never lost sight that God was in, in control. In the writing on the floor, we just felt like God was telling us that even though we lost our child, that many children would come and be blessed by our faithfulness. We just didn't realize that one of those children would be ours. Here's a picture of what he was writing on the floor. He said, for Hunter Seal and <laughs> those that only God knows about, we love you. And he wrote that. Then he wrote to me last night. He said, now as we enter the next building phase for our children's ministry, Logan, born 8-18-2008, about a year and a half after this picture was taken, will be able to grow in his Christian walk in the new buildings. We did not know what God had in store for us, but we worship a loving father. I thought that's the heart of our people. 
Many of you have prayed and you're bringing a commitment card that you've previously filled out. Will you take the commitment card? Maybe you've got one with you or if you didn't bring it, there's one on your chair. Would you take that and just, just look at that just for a minute? And it says, you know, a place to put your name and all of that kind of thing. It says, yes, I want to be a part of the story and you check the box. I'll make a commitment to imagine of X number of dollars. I plan to give... Um, X number by March 31st because we need $4 million by March 31st in order to break ground. And then I plan to give the rest by December the 31st. It's a one-year commitment that we're asking for. Um, we, we, uh, we gave you a booklet and there were all kind of ideas in there. That, you know, $250 will buy a chair and if that represents a sacrifice for you, do it. If it doesn't, Ask God to bite off something more. You know, there's response stations, there's parking places, rows of chairs, what have you. You've been praying about it. We've been praying about it. Some of you are coming to a final conclusion this weekend. Um, let me tell you just a story from our, from our own uh, life. We've been through this a few times. And it never fails that when we get ready to make some kind of a commitment, all hell breaks loose in our finances. Anybody have a testimony on that? In the last couple of weeks, it's like, oh, wow, we didn't know that was coming and this is coming and this breaks and all of that. And, but we're, we're used to it now. We kind of understand that's part of the process. And so Debbie and I, the way we do it, we each pray about it, number, and we come together toward like Friday of this week. And so Friday, we, we were talking and Debbie said, I know how the finances are. And she said, I want to do something significant. And she said, she said to me, she said, if this helps, here's what I want to offer. She said as part of it, she's got a, a nice car. It's a fairly new car. It's two or three years old, and it has like 15,000 miles on it. She's the kind of person you want to buy a car from. And uh, she said, if it helps, she said, I'm willing to sell my car. We have an old truck that is uh, 12 years old, and it doesn't have air conditioning. Um, we've had it fixed, and it doesn't work and all this kind of stuff. But she said, I'm willing to drive that if it'll make a difference. Why? Because she's invested in the future. And when she told me that, I began to weep. Just a little bit, because I didn't want her to see it a lot. <laughs> because I knew her heart, and I also knew that I would be driving that truck uh, <laughs> in the summertime. <laughs> and so what I said to her is I said, Deb, I'm thinking about this number, which... And she said, wow, and I, yeah, that sounds good. Maybe we can do part of it. I said, why don't we just trust God? And we'll try to sell the car later if, if God didn't come through exactly on, on how. Because we, I like to make faith commitments where, you, you know, some of us will make a commitment out of we've got excess resources or we're going to sell something or we're going to repurpose something and we're going to make a commitment of that. And that's great. Some of us will sacrifice something, you know, put off a, a purchase or whatever we do. Uh, or maybe not use something that we're using right now. And some of us will just flat make a faith commitment. We'll just say, God, you know, it's going to take you. In fact, people have asked me, said, you know, I'm in a real hard place financially. I want to be a part of this, but what do I do? You're in the best place possible. you got nothing to lose. Just ask God. God, show me what you want to do through me, and let's believe God for that, okay? So we all do it together. We're not all going to give the same amounts. Obviously, we don't have that capacity but I trust that we'll all sacrifice and listen to God in some way. So I'm going to ask you to come and bring your commitments to the altar here at Long Point. Your campus pastor will tell you in just a minute 
Uh, I'll, I'll pray and then your campus pastor will, will tell you, your worship teams will lead you in worship how you're going to do it there. But uh, as you come, you may want to uh, bring your commitment card. Even if you've committed online earlier, bring a blank one that represents that and come up and, and just pray together as a family. And then here's something else we're going to do. Um, as you bring your commitment card, there's baskets for you to put them in. And then there's some stones these are not to throw at people who don't make commitments, okay? That's not, not what this is. It's not a, this isn't a, a manipulative deal. The, what we did is last week, we had our kids in the children's area to put their initials, and a lot of them didn't know what initials meant, so they signed their whole name onto a rock. And pick up a rock as you give your commitment. And, uh, and there's rocks for everybody. I mean, you can have a rock for the whole family. We've got plenty. And take it with you. And use it as a reminder of what you did today. And also to pray for the name or the initials that are on that deal. We're going to do something cool with this. As God provides for you and you fulfill your commitment, bring the rock in and we'll give you instruction about how to do that. We'll have something cool in the foyer or wherever you're at to do that. And then we're going to build something in the new building that rep represents a path to the future. Somebody last night, this is one of the coolest ideas I've heard. Somebody last night said, what if we built a wall? She said, we're going to put our names on the backside that we prayed for this. Just put that on the wall. On the outside would be, I've got Greta Kate, which is one of my grandkids. They just happened to give me that, right? But anyway, I said, give me a rock. And uh, so, so what if when Greta Kate grows up, she finds her name on a wall that someone had prayed for her and had sacrificed and given. I thought, boy, is that a cool idea. I don't know if that's the one we'll use. You might have a better idea, but we'll do something uh, 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 with them. And so, and so before I do, let me, let me read you one last thing. It's a story I, I read a while ago about a guy who spent his whole life in the military, and near the end of duty, somebody asked him why he or anyone else would give their whole life to a life of service in the military. Here's what he said. If the sound of the national anthem and the sight of our flag blowing in the blue sky stirs up something deep in you, then you ought to be a soldier. If you want to link arms with a group of like-minded patriots who feel the same way about our anthem and our flag and our country, then you ought to be a soldier. If you like a challenge and you like hard work and you think you're tough enough to meet the standards of the battlefield, then you ought to be a soldier. If the thought that at the end of your life you can say that you served your country well and if you need no other reward than that, then you ought to be a soldier. When I read that, I wanted to sign up and be a soldier. But then I thought about us. And I thought about the next 28 years at Seacoast, which I hope to be a part of. And the opportunity that we have today to be founders of the next part of the great adventure here. Here's the challenge that I give to you. If the sight of a sin-hardened seeker caving into the love of Christ and breaking through the waters of baptism with new life in Christ, eternity waiting. If that excites you, then you ought to join us in making a commitment to the future because there's going to be a lot of that around here. If the knowledge that tens of thousands of people, including young people like Carly and Owen, find God and move from being non-worshippers to worshipers they grow in their faith from living life alone to living in community from just existing to making a difference if that quickens your pulse then you ought to join us in making a commitment to the future 
If banding together as a church family and pooling our resources so that the hungry can be fed and the naked can be clothed and the homeless sheltered and the thirsty can drink and the sick can be healed and the hopeless can find hope all over the world, if that sounds right to you, then you ought to join us in a commitment to the future. And if you believe that God is able to do more than we could ask or imagine, then you ought to join us in making a commitment to the future. And if when you come to the end of your life and it's enough for you to hear Jesus say, well done. You gave your life for what I gave mine for, the church. Then you ought to join us in a commitment to the future. See, I don't know about you, but my hat's in the ring. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time together. Thank you for this wonderful church for this historic time when we can make a statement about what matters in seeking you first and building into the next generation. God, I pray that in the next few minutes, here and in the campuses online, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. We commit ourselves, as we make commitments of, of our resources, we commit ourselves to you and to your purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.